Hi, everybody, and welcome to Open Matters. I'm your host, Guy Martin, the Executive Director of Oasis Open, and this is the second installment in our ongoing series of shows dedicated to exploring the interplay between open standards and open source and the communities that power them. This forum is designed to showcase great discussions, debates, and collaborations as we work to unify the whole open development ecosystem. And if you're interested in automating business processes across companies with blockchain, you're going to be very interested in what today's guest, John Wolpert, has to say. John helped co-found the Baseline Protocol Project here at Oasis and was one of the first community members here to reach out and welcome me in my new role and share his insights on the mixture of open source and open standards. Hi, John. Thanks for being here. Hey, Guy, can you hear me? Yeah, great, John. Uh, so before we dive in, I'd like to ask you to briefly introduce yourself to our audience. Well, hi, uh, I'm John Wolpert, and uh, yeah, my uh, I work on the Oasis uh, Ethereum Oasis Baseline Protocol uh, Initiative, which is an open standards, open source project, and we'll talk about that more soon. Um, before oh. that, I was at, uh, well, I, right now I'm uh, uh, the executive in charge of uh, mainnet, eco, uh, mainnet ecosystems and uh, uh, for the blockchain for consensus. And um, before that, I was at IBM and I helped found IBM blockchain and Hyperledger Fabric. Awesome. Thanks, John. So before we get started, everybody, some quick housekeeping. Um, questions will be held until the end and attendees may raise their hand to ask their question live, or if you prefer, you can insert it into the Q&A box. And one more quick reminder that this session is being recorded for later playback. So with that, let's get started. So John, you hinted at it earlier. Uh, and I know as an engineer, it's hard to describe your baby in just a few words, but can you explain what baseline is and why it's important? Well, the baseline uh, protocol, uh, and we often refer to it as baselining, and I'll explain why, um, is really kind of interestingly boring. It is a, 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 a framework, a methodology, a technique. That's why we call it a protocol because it used to be that we, when, we, when we called something a protocol, it was a protocol, and a technique, not um, what often people are calling a protocol now, like a, a chain or a, uh, a platform or some, of some kind. Uh, this is a protocol. It is a technique for using public blockchain in such a way that you can not use it as a database, but as a piece of middleware, an integration bus between traditional systems of record. So if you have an SAP system and I have an Oracle app system or JD Edwards or a, a Microsoft Dynamics system and we have a PO in common, a purchase order, I know for sure that the record in my database is the same as the record in your database and everything that we do before and after that in terms of transforming that record or creating new records, et cetera, is done uh, with continuity, with integrity, uh, across a workflow without your system being uh, uh, having control over mine or, or, or have, have access to mine or my system having access to yours. And that's the neat trick because we have to stay in sync without having, and, and any computer science will, scientist will tell you, you have, in order to do that, you have to have some kind of common frame of reference. And we're saying, hey, yeah, the public blockchain, if done, if used correctly, is a pretty good always-on uh, state machine that can't you can't tamper with and you can't lock you out of valid operations. So it's like the internet of state or the stateful internet, what we call the mainnet, capital M, 
So uh, the baseline protocol is the first official protocol uh, that a project or a standards project where we're getting everybody to make sure that we're all using three pronged plugs and 220 volts so that we can talk to each other, we can work with each other, regardless of what components or systems we're using to baseline. So that's why I usually don't say the word baseline. Uh, it sounds like a product or, or a, a chain or a token or a scheme uh, or a platform or a what have you. It's not. It's just a technique that we all need to do roughly the same way. Cool. cool. You, should, you should hear SAP or Oracle saying, yes, SAP is now baseline native. Uh, Oracle's baseline native. And all that means is they, they can talk to each other without, yeah, according to a pretty easy standard. Right. So baselining is a verb, basically. Yeah, cool. we're trying to verb it. I'm trying to verb it. Uh, so you folks recently released version uh, 0.1. And why was that such an important milestone in, in the project? Uh, it was a huge milestone for two reasons. First was that it is now abstracted to the point uh, uh, where it would be fairly easy for anyone practicing the art of reading and writing code to figure it out and deploy it, activate it, run it, use it, um, extend it tinker with it. And before that, it was really a, a, a specification in demo form. So there was a, a set of demo code that was that needed to be generalized and abstracted. The second reason, and, and that is now done. It's reasonably well abstracted. It has a core set of interfaces and a, a growing set of reference implementations of, that, of those interfaces. And I should remind me to kind of talk more about that, which I would think that is the kernel of the intersection between open source software projects and open standards. We're, get, we're going to get to that. You're leading right into my, one of my next questions, John, so we're good. So don't let me forget about because that's that really is the moment of, of doing that. Uh, that the, the fact that we're really defining interfaces in code, which embody the standard or, and also inform the standard. So it goes back and forth. Um, yeah, so that, that, that was why you know, the work on that was important. The second reason it was important is that Unlike things I've done in the past, like, like Hyperledger Fabric, which was, we, I think we launched in December 17th, 2015. And uh, it was crazy getting all those companies together. It was wonderful. Uh, Jim Zemlin is super cool. Uh, working with him was fun. And uh, Guy, your opposite number over at Linux Foundation. I'm sure you know him. No, Jim uh, Yeah. Uh, decent guy. Uh, and and uh, so that was fun, but it was hard. But um, in that, in that process, we didn't really embody, we, we didn't go after a standard. And the other thing was, you know, we said, Hey, code talks, we're just going to write code. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, I like what we're doing with the Oasis, uh, found it, uh, with the Oasis, uh, program better, uh, because it's both code and standards. And if you do it right, you don't have to bog either of them down. Uh, but I think so. The, John, do you just want me to ask you that question? That <laughs> sounds like you're kind of leading there anyway. Because, because you know, obviously here at Oasis um, Open, we're about both open source and open standards. And I know you, you mentioned you're taking a multiple implementation strategy. How do you think this plays with the future of the specification work you're trying to do? Um, well, I think it, it, it's laying down a pretty nice uh, pattern, right? You have a core code um, slash code. Or, uh, slash core uh, folder. And in that is are, are effectively very abstract interfaces, you know, um, you know, full of enums and, and such. Right. So it's just, 
It's just very uh, uh, generalized and abstracted. Um, underneath that, you have uh, baseline reference implementation one, and there will be two and three and four and five. And those can be more opinionated. They can say, hey, yeah, we're going to use our stack in this way uh, with these interfaces. Oh, and the way we're using it is informing something new that we should consider as a new interface, and we should write that. That's probably a signal that that needs to be also part of the standard. So another folder, docs slash standards, that's where all of the, um, all of the, you know, the, the writing will go as far as right. the shalls and musts and chants. Right. So are you using the are you using the inter the interfaces you're defining as sort of the basis, the bones of that standard, if you will? Yeah, because it's true. I, and I think Jerry Cuomo used to say this very well, a, a CTO at IBM. <clears throat> he used to say, um, code talks, talk walks. Well, that's right. true. But um, code talks, and in some things, if you don't talk about it, it's, it's going to become a mess. Right, so you have to have the standards sometimes. I think, I think a lot of people avoid the standards in software because they assume, kind of like government, that it's going to go badly. <laughs> and what you need is smart government, well, okay. and, you need, and you need smart standards uh, development. And I think the smartest way to go is to have the code and the, you know, the, all the work should be, you know, whether, you're, whether you're writing in a human language or you're writing in code, you should be doing that, um, considering that, yeah, part of the same activity, which is why the standards uh, leadership, like Anaiso Frank, who's fantastic, um, is part of the maintainers body as well. So we don't distinguish between, you know, whether you're writing standards or you're writing code or you're checking. Both of those things have to be checked in. Yeah, so that's, I think that's a good best practice in software right. standards. Interesting. So, I mean, it kind of goes to one of the other questions I wanted to ask you, which is obviously if you're using the interfaces kind of as the bones, do you see any other opportunities to meaningfully combine open source and open standards kind of from the community standpoint? I mean, you know, John, I'm, I'm a big community guy and, and I think I see a lot of times these communities look at each other and go, well, you're slow and, and you have no governance, right? I mean, and we can figure out which one of those it is just by the context, but sort of how do you think we, we do a better job of, of meaningfully combining these communities? Well, uh, the reason why we, I'm going to answer two questions in one. I know that somebody was asking, why did we go with Oasis? And I think it's, it's combined answer because the re, we were looking at different ways to do all of this work. And we considered all of the um, open source foundations, uh, standards bodies going straight with, you know, something like W3C or what have you. And, um, and then the, the uh, Enterprise Ethereum Alliance, or, or what I think is soon to become the, the Ethereum uh, Ecosystem Alliance or Association, is at least it's a hope I have for the branding. Because um, you know, Ethereum needs to be all of Ethereum. It's not just enterprises versus everybody else. It's, it's all of Ethereum. Everybody agrees on that. And so I, I think that will be a, a shift. And as that shift comes, you know, we, we, really need to be focused on all Ethereum standards, all. Um, without bogging down people who really don't want to be talking about standards. I mean, the, the developers that have been writing Ethereum and making it a de facto standard in many ways uh, within the Ethereum community uh, have done a pretty good job. So 
we don't want to mess that up. But then if you're a CIO of a, of a company or if you're in government agency or what have you, not having that really boring document that really locks down um, the details of implementation requirements or, or whatever to, to be consistent and to have uh, development, you know, have integrity uh, so that everybody's implementing things in a similar way when that's important. Those are, those are things that you don't want to bog the, the folks on the Ethereum Foundation or any of the uh, Ethereum community that's writing code for the core. You, you want them kind of zipping along. But you got to get your ear real close to the ground and know what they're doing. And, and then house projects that are specific, like baseline. Um, Socrates would be a good one. Um, other kinds of projects where, you know, you, not only do you need to write code, but you need to and implement it. You also need to be able to say, everybody's got to, you know, no matter who, what product you're using, if it's, if it's using this standard, it's, we can expect the same things from it. Right, right. So do you see kind of a role of, of a community liaison? What do you see? Where, where do you see kind of that intersection happening? Do you see it happening kind of at a, at a governance level? Um, Cause yeah, I, I think the reason I ask this question is obviously, you know, I, I have a vested interest in it at Oasis trying to figure out how we come up with patterns of, of letting these communities work together, because you're right as, a, as a former developer, um, you know, for the longest time before I took this role, I looked at standards and said, Oh gosh, you know, that's just, that's just too much work and it's people in back rooms and it just takes forever. But there's a lot of valid reasons why you need to have those for all the reasons you mentioned. So trying to figure out where we, where we find that, that good intersection and who performs essentially that translation, if you will, between an open source community and a standards community. Well, the first, the first part of it, even before you get to that, is, um, is dealing with the fact that um, most standards organizations and some open source organizations are very concerned about, or they, they don't want, they have a, it's a members club, right? And the problem with that, with any kind of open thing, like uh, if, you know, the mainnet, is that you, if you're not going to, you could just be writing words on a page if you're writing standards and you are not listening to the development community who may not be members of your association. And um, in listening, also having some, some ability for them to listen to you. Um, because they're the ones that are going to write the code. And so you could write, you know, must do this and they'll never maybe ever read it. Right. right? Unless you're, so how do you involve non-members of an association in that standards process? And some standards you, you can't, right? They're the kinds of standards that simply require, or at least uh, will enforce that only the people that are paid members have any say in the, in the standard. Uh, this is not what we're doing. Right? So what we're doing requires having big ears and, um, and some heft with the community. And it, it can't be based on them paying us money. Right. So yeah, a, I think what point. you guys have figured out better than anybody else is how to more or less run it like, a, like PBS, right? In that those of us who can pay do and those of us who can contribute work do. And as long as we're all signing the ICLA or the ECLA, the, the licensing agreement, which by the way, was ex excellently implemented by your team uh, and, you know, Jory and, and folks in chat, uh, Carol and, and Jane, everybody, uh, you, 
that that that's a a big shift from a lot of other some other organizations that we could have gone into mm-hmm. where they would have restricted us or there would have been big crazy rules about how to whether or not you could involve any input from the community uh, we have a completely open community with baseline anybody can cool. contribute and not only that but uh, you can't buy your way into a, a, a committee a, a steering committee seat the only way you get on the committee is by being voted in by people who have done at least one pull request on the repo. Right. Yeah. No, I, li- I like that governance model. And, and honestly, it's one of the things, the reasons why um, I, I was interested in coming to Oasis is because I, I did see that. I saw that, that focus on community, that focus on openness, right. And, and, you know, we're actually referring to ourselves as Oasis open, which has always been the legal name of the org. And now we're really, I think putting, putting effort behind that in the brand. So actually that leads kind of to my, my next, my next question, you sort of touched on it a little bit, but you know, if you had just could wave your magic wand and say, hey, Oasis, I'd like Oasis open, excuse me, I'd like you to do more of this or less of this um, to encourage other open projects efforts or, or even open standards efforts. What would be your advice? Um, you remember that that Saturday Night Live with uh, 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 you know, more cowbell? Right. More cowbell. Oh, I you love, need more I cowbell. Love that we need yeah, more you cowbell. need more jewelry. Is what you need. <laughs> we, need, we, need we do like need more jewelry. Six jories. more jewelries. Right. And for those uh, who and don't not, know, not to be are... not to pander, uh, but I mean, uh, what you need are people that are that specifically what the, the attributes of jewelry that are really important are. You have somebody who knows how to manage a community, knows how to knows how to guide, understands the open source process. I mean, she's even tipped me, you know, on the side. Hey, you know, you might want to do more of that. You might want to do less of that. Um, as a new chair, that's fantastic to have that kind of, to have somebody, you know, checking your six, um, right, right. like that. So that, I mean, those are the soft powers, the hard powers are, you know, somebody who actually writes code and can actually do it uh, at the wires level has saved us over and over again. Uh, so Jory's, you know, not simply organizing these communities and setting them up. She actually, you know, is talented, uh, you know, engineer or IT person. Yeah. So that's, that's important. Yeah. And and staff knows, and I've said this before, Jory is also a huge reason why I wanted to come to Oasis because I saw the work she's been doing just in the open source community and I've known her from there. So Jory, we're giving you two thumbs up. Um, Cool. Anything else you think we should be doing? The other two things are, uh, I should say are one, um, you know, uh, what, what has been astounding is how Carol and team, uh, have been able to actually bring in new members who we never would have thought to talk to. Yeah, we, we, we assumed going into this that we would have to bring everything, you know, every, every, every member and that it would be our job to convince them or get them involved. Now Carol's been every bit. I mean, I think we're my, we might be 50, 50 at this point in terms of the companies that are coming in, not only who are sponsoring, but are just simply, uh, you know, getting involved. We have a, the, you know, Google is a, uh, now, uh, uh, there's a Google uh, candidate for uh, the Technical Steering Committee, and um, Carol was instrumental in, in uh, making the case for them. We both were. So that, that was um, surprising how Accenture has come in uh, as a full sponsor, and uh, yeah, that came all from you. Cool. And, and by the way, for those who don't know, that's Carol Guyer, our head of business development, who another one of the awesome staff I get to work with. So we're really excited about that. Um, so John, we're going to kind of wrap up here to leave some room for questions. So um, kind of one final question I have for you. 
um, for those that are interested in baseline and interested in the things you've talked about, how would you suggest that they get involved? What's the best way for them to kind of get into this? Sure. It's easy. Uh, go to baseline-protocol.org. Um, get the, uh, click on the Slack channel or Slack inviter. Uh, mm-hmm. Or if you're a telegraph person, use that. Um, uh, Jory and, and uh, one of our team, uh, our community members set up so that if you, there's a channel in Slack that if you use that, you're getting to every channel that we, you know, whether it's Discord or Telegram, which is pretty cool. Um, and just join the conversation. It's a live conversation. There's about 700 people in there. And, um, and they're very friendly. So you can really get involved in talking and go, what do you guys think about this? You can do it right on the general channel. People will answer you. I might. Um, and then there's, um, uh, so do that, get into the GitHub repo, uh, talk to Carol about sponsoring, uh, you know, that sort of thing. And, um, and then most importantly, make it safe for your engineers to contribute, you know, come talk, build a demo. The most important thing for baselining is product teams, uh, like, like Ernst & Young just uh, announced that their ops chain product is baseline compliant, which makes it the first enterprise-built enterprise product on the baseline protocol. Well, that was great. We need more of that. So engineers awesome. doing open source work and product teams leveraging the work. Yeah, always, always a good recipe. Uh, awesome. Thanks, John. So at this point, I'm going to turn it over to D-Sure uh, to moderate any um, audience questions. We'd love to hear from our listeners. Hey, great. You guys did a great job. Okay, so um, can everyone hear me okay? You're a little echoey, but we can hear you. Okay. Yeah, it's almost like you switched mics. I did not. Um, there you are. There you are. Okay, perfect. Okay, so here's our first question. Excuse me. Are you planning to adopt existing standards under either OASIS or ISO JTC1 or both when it makes sense not to reinvent the wheel? I've been looking at ISO uh, JTC1. Thank you for uh, uh, talking about that. One of the things that's great about working in OASIS is that you are a feeder into um, a variety of um, termination points, ISO being one of them. And it strikes me that, yeah, I mean, you know, th- this is where deduping is always a big problem in standards, right? <laughs> you say, well, exactly. deduping is a problem with everything, right? Uh, but uh, yeah, are there, is there significant overlap? And the fact that we're out there in the community means that somebody can ask that question so that if I didn't know about that, if I hadn't already had my eyes on that in our team, uh, you know, now we would. So thank you for the question. And yeah, I think, I don't think any, nobody likes too much redundancy. A little redundancy is okay, but too much is too much. And so, yeah, if it's completely overlapping uh, standard, that said, I think a lot of times one gets the impression of a overlap that is actually not there. You look at it from another angle and you see that they're not overlapping. So we'll see. We obviously, like you said, you know, we, we have great relationships with all of these, these termination points, ISO being one of them. And so, yeah, obviously our, from our side, we want to help however it makes sense for, for, for us to be the best uh, help to baseline on other projects. So cool. Dee, do we have some more questions? I certainly do. Okay. So what are some of the business use cases baseline is seeking to target? 
Oh, well, that's pretty simple. Uh, remember back in, well, some remember some folks who remember the 90s will remember that there was a time when everyone needed a website or web page. And then there was a time that everyone needed a spinning logo on the web page. <laughs> and then there was there then there was the catalog. You needed your catalog on the web page. And then you wanted to sell the stuff that's in your catalog on the web page. And then you wanted to connect it to your backends and et cetera. Well, um, that's not a vertical use case. So I'm not really a use case oriented person these days. Uh, have been in the past. Uh, certainly when I was running a startup, I was very much in, interested in in use cases, but um, uh, this is more of a horizontal specificity. Yeah, the specificity is around the horizontal, which is e-commerce, right? So if you need, in this case, it's you might call B-commerce. That it's it's the um, pipelines of where companies need to share information that they can verify is identical and that was derived identically uh, without subjecting themselves to the hegemony of either of the, any of the participants or some new third, you know, centralized entity. So um, uh, B2B process automations rise is what we're really about. It's not about, it's less about blockchain at all. It's just saying, Hey, yeah, there's, there's this mainnet thing that's always on and you can use as a bulletin board. Uh, nothing really to see here, but it means you don't have to stand one up every time you have a new partner or a new group um, and and you know, spend that million bucks doing that and increase that amount of complexity because now you're managing all these little silos. You can say, no, nope, we're always using the mainnet for this because we're not leaking any information to the mainnet in doing so. All we're putting there are proofs of consistency and continuity um, in an interesting way. You can, you know, and we can go into details on that. Um, so I think, yeah, have I asked you, have I answered the question or? I think uh, so. I think so. Um, okay. We've got a few more, uh, very specific ones. I'm going to try and run through them quickly and folks feel free to drop off whenever you'd like, but I'm going to go ahead and continue with the questions. We've got good ones. Okay. Baseline and Ethereum chain you work with both describe themselves as enterprise level technology. Okay, what does that mean <clears throat> other than we have some big users? <laughs> um, it means that the, un, unlike a lot of new early stage blockchain projects where you said, well, let's, let's get this whole new stack. This, effectively, we're, five years we've been treating blockchains as databases. We've said, yeah, they're, they're, and the point you have managers will say they're, they are safer databases. They're not. They're actually less safe databases because now administrators, if you're doing it correctly and you're doing it actually in a way that requires a blockchain in any way, you have different administrators in different companies with different security protocols. And while that may make the data harder to tamper with, not impossible because companies do collude, uh, but harder, you've made it that much, uh, that many times less or more likely to have somebody get hacked and your data to be out. So data breaches are what most CEOs worry about. And that's, blockchains are terrible, terrible for that particular issue. Don't put data on blockchains, any kind of blockchain, private or public. Um, and so where is, where is the work being done? In SAP, which is an enterprise grade production system. 
in Oracle, in Dynamics, in you know your Mongo database, and even in your spreadsheet, there, yeah, where those are appropriate. Um, Neo4j, you know, any kind of data system, DBMS, is where the work is getting done. And then we're putting a little bit of standardized uh, glue on the outside that, you know, with a CRUD access that says, okay, I'm going to process this to, in, in such a way that when, I send, when we send this record to these other guys, we're going to also record a proof that they received it, that they processed it consistently and, and digitally signed so that we have not only proof of existence, but now we have effectively a, a fancy hash or proof of consistency. And so that, and doing all of that, as long as you use enterprise components, things like uh, NATs for your messaging layer or what have you, um, and, uh, you know, where you are keeping your data at rest is all GDPR compliant and under good controls, which you're already doing if you're a good enterprise, then baselining is enterprise ready because most of the pieces, all the pieces are, um, are enterprise, are in the enterprise stack. Okay, the only great. new thing is that we're using that, again, we're using that public blockchain as a way to prove consistency to each other without exposing any details about our relationship or the, our patterns of, of business. Okay, um, we're, we're kind of at the bottom of the hour, but I do have one question I think is a really good last question to ask. <clears throat> Excuse me. Are there any Are there any next major steps or milestones you guys are working towards? <clears throat> Oh, well, yes. Uh, right now, there are a number of feature and function and, uh, and uh, performance or non-functional requirement um, uh, initiatives um, increasing the scale. We can do about several million uh, baseline events, uh, conf confirmations on chain uh, in a month. That's going to get us well into 2021. And then with ETH2, that should bring it up another 100x. Uh, but also we have batching and some other new text type stuff that we can work on um, that will bring that up another hundred X. And then you're getting into basically an, you know, an entire industry you could be doing baselining on a, a good chunk of their most or all of their business, business to business events, uh, you know, with baselining uh, globally. So uh, getting to scale is, is good. Um, and then there's all sorts of really cool projects. There's one where you just get a DocuSign and you click on that and you get to baseline that record into your system. Or you could create an, imagine uh, somebody saying for $9.95 a month, here's your, uh, your instant baselined uh, system of record that your wholesaler is going to feel a lot better about you now, maybe even give you discounts because they know that you're keeping records that are consistent with theirs, you know, just from a DocuSign. Yeah, no, ton, tons of opportunity, John. Really, really appreciate you being on. Uh, yeah, thanks, John. This has been fantastic. Uh, and, you know, I know when I first joined Oasis Open, Baseline was was one of the things that I that I first saw. It was called out as a, as a great example of the power of the Open Projects Initiative that we've put out there. And I know we're all incredibly thankful for, for your encouragement and support and everything you've done. So um, thanks, everybody out there for joining us. Until next time, thanks for listening.